and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I sprayed me in my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back or welcome to another episode of the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Really excited to have you with us for another great episode today. Before we get to today's guest, I want to let you know how you might be able to help us out here at the podcast. So social media is really one of the ways that a lot of people find us. When you share these conversations on social, we get introduced to strangers and they listen and hopefully they subscribe to the show. And that's how a lot of people come to find us. So if you like today's conversation, please share it on social media. Also, if you know today's guest, uh, please send a text and email to somebody that also knows him and share his story. Uh, Today's guest is Paul James, also known as PJ. I went to college with PJ. We were in the same fraternity. We both went to Syracuse University. And PJ is also from Montgomery County, which is the same county that I'm from, and we went to nearby high schools. So hopefully some of the people that are listening to today's show know PJ. We actually talk about in this conversation some friends that we have that are mutual uh, that we didn't realize until today's show. So as I mentioned, PJ and I went to college together and after college, he's a few years older than me. He moved out to LA and started his acting career. And it wasn't that long after that, that I was watching PJ on TV and also in movies. He was in the hit TV show Greek, ironically enough, considering we were in the same fraternity together. And he also was in a movie right off the bat. He's going to talk about Cry Wolf, uh, a movie that he auditioned for and, and got a part in. And I watched that movie as well. So I was early on watching PJ on, on the big screen. And it was really cool to watch him and watch his career from afar. And today he's on a Netflix TV show called Soundtrack that you can watch. Uh, and I actually, since we recorded this, watched a few episodes and really enjoyed it. It's different. It's unique. Uh, it takes a different approach. And PJ is certainly front and center during the show. Uh, so a bit about PJ. So as I mentioned, he grew up outside the DC area, uh, grew up in a similar area to myself, uh, and went off to college and pursued acting at Syracuse. And I think one of the things you're really going to like about PJ in this conversation is he's open, he's honest. He talks about the ups and the downs that come with acting as a career. And he also talks about his identity throughout this conversation. He's extremely vulnerable. He's extremely honest and really talks about things about himself that I think a lot of actors might be guarded about. So I really appreciate PJ's 
willingness to share himself fully uh, with you and with me. With me, And I know you're going to love this conversation and you'll learn a lot about PJ through his journey and also through how he approaches things and interprets things in this world. So without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you my friend PJ Paul James. PJ, excited to have you on the podcast. We've come a long way since our days at Syracuse. It's been uh, a couple of years. You were just telling me about your 20th reunion for high school. Yeah, I'm not there yet, so you got me age-wise, but we'll get there eventually. I'll get there in a couple of years. But I had a great time at Syracuse. I enjoyed it. I saw you perform at Syracuse. Oh, yeah. I feel like I made you see me perform, didn't I? You did. Wasn't that uh, one of the stipulations of... It's part of Greek life, which uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Greek life during this, but not too much. And uh, no, but I remember seeing you on stage and enjoying it. I think it was Othello. Yeah. So I still remember that. Um, And then I've enjoyed watching your career from afar. Um, I'm in Washington, D.C. area, which is where you're from as well. And it's been fun just watching you. And we've got a lot of mutual friends that I know you've stayed in close close contact with. Uh, So it's been cool to live vicariously through you and learn about your career. And I think we bumped into each other in Bethesda a long time ago yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me a bit about acting. So when did acting first come into your life? Can you go back and remember the first moment that you had that involved performing? Yeah, um, well, I I remember doing uh, plays in elementary school, but like it was everyone had to do a play. So you would play maybe a character for two scenes and then someone else would play that character. And I remember that being fun. I feel like maybe there was like plays in daycare. I used to sing uh, before my voice changed. I had a really good voice and then I got older and now I can't really sing. Uh, So I was always in chorus. And um, uh, like I broke my wrist. I I played soccer, MSI soccer. Of course. You know, and I broke my wrist and I I auditioned for the play that year, like the the seventh grade play at, at Ridgeview Elementary School. It was Dracula. And uh, I got into it, and that was like the beginning of, of like the excitement of like, oh, this is something that I do. I do it pretty well. Any family members into into the arts? You know, my mom wanted to be an actress, but her mother didn't let her. And I'm not sure how aware I was of that, but I'm sure that she exposed me to. You know, we saw a lot of theater. My dad was a, was he was a Secret Service agent, but he was an artist played guitar he was a photographer he was a painter when he was younger so we would go up we would go to the cork and art gallery a lot we'd always go to theater we'd see you know we were always exposed to lots of art i remember my dad wanted to he wanted to eventually start his own photography business that he never did but that was always like you know in his mind he was always taking pictures of everything of soccer of plays of barbecues so i feel like it's not my sister's a, an author so I, I feel like that's purposeful that we were both into arts now because our parents both uh fostered that yeah and two threads there that were pretty common which is for whatever reason your mom you said wasn't allowed to yeah so she wasn't allowed to so she became a teacher her mother you know it wasn't a respectable thing to do my father wanted to be an artist and his, his father made him study art education and then I think he became an art teacher, amongst other things. Um, but so, yeah, it was we grew up with parents that were like, follow your dreams. You can be anything you want to be, which not everyone grows up that way. Did they did your dad become a Secret Service agent because he had to to provide or what went into that? Yeah, I think uh, he was drafted and he was in the Vietnam War. And so he was recruited after the Vietnam War. And that's kind of what he went into 
um, it's interesting, you know, my dad passed away right after college. So it would be, I just remember him. I don't know that he, it's tough. I know he did not enjoy having a gun like that. He just didn't enjoy that part of the, the job. I wonder if he enjoyed the job at all. I think he always really wanted to be an artist. I think that's what he wanted to do. So when you said, you know, when did you realize that that was something that you were going to pursue? Was he, was was it in college when you sort of realized it? No, or no, before that, it was before that. And I think one, like one of the, the an, an impetus was is that I didn't want to have a nine to five job like my dad, even though he had a really cool job. I just I remember watching him come home with the suit and the tie and being tired, and I was like, I don't want that kind of life. Um, I. I don't remember exactly. I, I know it was sometime in high school because I know I didn't take physics or um, I didn't take like I stopped taking like advancement math class, you know, advanced placement math classes or whatever, because I was like, oh, I'm going to be an actor. I don't need to know any of that stuff. So by junior year, I was already like on that track of. And he was supportive of it. Yeah. Very supportive. Both of them. Both of them. It's just interesting that maybe both of them were artists at their heart yeah. and both were restricted as far as what they could do. And then the message that they're giving you and your sister is you can be and sort of do anything. Right. And here you are. I mean, it worked out. We could <laughs> me and my sister easily could have been like, you know, of course. Uh, actor and writers that don't do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? That There's were plenty. Asking our parents for money. <laughs> but instead, you know, I don't know. They did something right. And what did you like about going back to those those first moments where you started to be on stage or you started to sing in the chorus, what do you remember liking about it? Yeah, um, I think when you're a kid, you're just searching for what you what you do right. You're getting what you're getting validation from, um, especially as you head in high school, which I mean, high school can be so difficult for everyone. And I wasn't necessarily that good at sports. Um, and I just... There's something about, and I've only done one play since I've graduated uh, college, but I'm always trying to get back to do them. There's something about hearing an audience when you're performing. You know, there's really nothing like it. Uh, the energy that you get when you're on stage, whether it be singing or, or or doing a play, is kind of unlike anything. I mean, it beats any movie or any uh, uh, TV experience that I've had, for sure, is that walking on stage, taking the curtain call, having the audience in the palm of your hand, a shared experience that we're all in the theater going through together. That's why I love seeing theater. Um, yeah, there's something powerful in that. And I think, I mean, I was like a theater rat. After we would have rehearsal, I would stay after and build the sets. I'd go on the weekends and paint. And, you know, um, it was Karen Garner who was like in charge of uh, uh, the the technical aspect of the theater, she would make a big bowl of chili and we would just sit there and paint the set. And that was like, even to this day, when I go in a theater, I just love looking up at the rafters and I love the smell of it. And I just love the theater for some reason. I don't know. Why aren't you doing more of it? I tried. I've been trying to, you know, it's hard uh, to break into it. And I've, I have auditioned a bunch for it since I've moved to New York in the last three years. Um, and it's just hard. I mean, there's definitely some triangulation with the agents where I'm only auditioning for certain kinds of theater right now. You know what I mean? Sort of the, the better theaters in the country, but um, I'll get far and they look down at my resume and they're like, you don't have a lot of experience. And you know, I've gotten close to some things, but it's just never worked out yet. And singing. So you, you sort of joked, but you said, Hey, I was a good singer. And then my voice changed and singing's not my thing anymore. Does that also restrict yes. the options that are, that are exist to you? Yeah. If I could sing, I mean, there would be so many more options available, 
You know, even in even in uh, there's a lot of rules nowadays that that you have to sing, and I just can't. I just I just don't do it. You know, I actually sing in the new show that I'm in, and it was like, it was it was very difficult and took a lot of time in the studio to make it sound like I can sing. Do you think singing is something you can acquire? Mm, no, I don't think everyone can sing, and uh, I I I took voice lessons for years. Even when I went to Syracuse, um, I auditioned to be in musical theater at. Syracuse and Carnegie Mellon and Emerson and University of Cincinnati. And I think I only got in at Emerson, but the rest of them I, I didn't get in because I couldn't sing as good. And so at Syracuse, I was always taking voice lessons and trying to get into musicals and stuff like that. And by the time I graduated, I just sort of realized it's not where my strength lies. It's an amazing thing because you do see some of these actors that have amazing voices. Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I know. And you're just like, what the hell? It's man? so frustrating to me because it's, li I mean, singing is my favorite thing. I play guitar a lot. You know, I write my own songs. And I, I mean, I just, I've been trying to sing. I might, you know, try to invest in voice lessons this year and see where that gets me. But it's like, I'm also really sensitive about it, you know, because I've tried to do it for so long. Uh, but it's it's unfair when you when when actors can just sing amazingly. Yeah. It's 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 just something I've always wondered about. Uh, going back to high school days, so your identity was pretty wrapped up in uh, in theater, and that that was what you spent most of your time with. When you got to college and you got to experience college, we were in a fraternity together. I'm curious, why did you also want that to be part of your life, um, if you did at all, or if there was any intention around it, or is it just something that kind of happened and you just sort of went with it? Yeah, that's just something that kind of happened, you know. Um... That's a really probably long, deeper story. But the people that the one I was doing some plays in Montgomery County and I had met some people that went to Syracuse in the summer theater. And so they're the reasons that I auditioned that I added Syracuse to the list. And they told me where to live, which was on the Mount, which it, if you get to Syracuse is a very specific place to live compared to other places that you can live as a freshman. And everyone on the Mount kind of rushed. You know, if I had lived where in Brewster Bolin, where more of the actors lived and more of the athletes lived, I probably wouldn't have rushed and then my life would have turned out very different. Um, I don't know. I can't explain why, but I I can't explain why. And I, it's, I've thought about it a lot. I don't know if, if I had a chance to do it again, if I would do it again, yeah. even though I have a lot of close friends from it. But um, yeah, it was a, a choice I look back on a lot that it's like uh, why, why I, it's also we're such different people now you know after for, after college after high school you're coming from that high school mentality when you want to fit in you know what i mean and and now in your 30s you're like i mean at least where i am now it's like you know you're trying to be yourself and be i'm trying to be as different as possible now you yeah. know I, I don't have any desire to fit in um but i i will say that i think I think being in a fraternity was interesting because it exposes you to a lot of people who are not like you. Whereas theater, you have a lot of people that kind of are like you in a way. Um, so I think it definitely um, helped cultivate a thing, uh, an aspect of me that I'm proud of where I, I can kind of get along with anyone. You know, if I meet a, a dude from finance, I can talk to him. You know, I'm not out of my depth if, if I meet a, you know, a woman who is a nuclear engineer, you know, I, I can talk to anyone because y you have to. It's interesting you talk about fitting in because I've worked with a lot of high school teams and high school athletes. And as an adult, you look at them and you're like, yeah, don't be afraid to stick out. Like, go do your thing. Like, have 
some uniqueness. But you forget, yeah, high school is about just don't rock the boat. Don't do anything that's going to embarrass you or shame you. And there's other elements. It's not that simple. But there is an element of sort of uh, fitting in. And at least for me, at least college was about finding yourself and trying to figure out who you are and who you want to be. Yet, as we talk about fraternity life, there is an element of like assimilation that you're supposed to also be about. Yeah, especially, I mean, at the time in Syracuse, it was definitely like that. I mean, everyone wore North Face. Everyone dressed the exact same. Um, you know, you went to the Marshall Street and shopped the same thing. And I remember how you had to have diesel jeans because that's what everyone had. I feel like, I mean, that's one of the the negatives, I think, when I think about my, my college uh, life is that I felt, I feel like there was too much of trying to fit in. And also culturally, um, Syracuse was very specific and it wasn't necessarily super homogenous. Is that the right word? Or is it the opposite word? Um, I mean, it was super homogenous, right? So it, it was kind of, if you didn't look a certain way or there was an ideal and if you didn't fit that, it, you didn't, you weren't as successful, whether it be even just like dating, you know? Um, yeah, it was it was a weird experience. I, I definitely am proud, you know, and then we won the national championship for basketball senior, so that was awesome. So I'm always like, I love Syracuse, but I... I um, yeah, didn't have some great times being there as far as that. And I think it probably set me back a little bit. And how about school? How about the theater program and, and actually getting into the work of that? Um, what was that like for you? Uh, that was pretty crazy. The theater program was... Uh, I will say that the Syracuse Theater Program when I was there was pretty wonderful because it was a really supportive program. It wasn't as super competitive like other programs were that maybe produce more actors that are working but there's this familial environment that exists probably still to this day they had lots of parties crazy parties it was a lot of fun i'm still close to a lot of people from theater and it was really um the opposite of what we were just talking about where everyone was a freak you know, and pretty much everyone was weird and you could be there and just be as weird as possible in that environment, you know, and really uh, uh, figure out who you were. So I would always go back and forth between these two things. But it was also, you know, like I said, a lot of people who grow up in that environment don't know how to deal with people outside of it, you know, and if when you're in the real world, you have to be able to deal with all kinds of people. So that so. You know, I am sort of glad that I had both experiences. Um, but yeah, I had, I, I, theater school was fun. It was also like, you know, it's more dramatic than anything you could ever think of. You know, every role that you get or you don't get. And even though it wasn't competitive, you're still actors. So there still was a lot of that, you know. Um, it was pretty wild, but it was pretty cool. I think about theater school fondly. If you go back to, your moments there, your time there, are you seeing yourself and visualizing yourself as somebody who's going to be doing Broadway on, yeah. in New York? Is that is that like the vision that you have for yourself? That was then? the goal. Broadway was always the goal. And when I graduated, I did a lot of Shakespeare at school, so I remember, and I did some musicals. I was a really good dancer. And um, I remember when I left, I was like, I could either, you know sort of I remember I met my manager that I'm still with and she was like what do you want to do and I was like well I want to do Shakespeare and I want to be in a chorus of musicals and I want to do this and that and she's like you got to figure out what you want to do but I had a teacher musical theater teacher who was like you can do this like you've worked so hard you're a good dancer you're a good actor 
your singing you could pass if you work on it like you could you could do this you know um so that was always my goal still my goal to be on broadway one day and then the my two roommates that i was going to live with um we were all going to live in new york together and they decided to move to, to la so i followed them out there that's how i got to la and what's it like getting out to la which has a little bit of everything um but certainly hollywood when someone thinks of LA, they think of Hollywood. What was that experience like for you transitioning out there? Yeah, it was pretty crazy. I, we, I had there was a good friend, a good guy named Ben August, who was who was also also in the house. I'm still close with, who's a, a writer now, a fantastic writer, and he sort of like introduced uh, us to the world of LA. Um, and he has a good head on his shoulders, and his friends were cool, so we didn't like. I don't know. We didn't. Like my first introduction, well, my my first introduction was actually a crazy party. The guy that I was living with when I first met was Katy. Katy Perry was dating a guy that lived at the house that I stayed at. That I had a buddy named Max Kogod who went to Bullis. He was out there randomly. I stayed with him, and I go and drop my luggage off, and it's it's just crazy Hollywood party, right? Uh, welcome, yeah, welcome, <laughs> and like you know, people from all over the country, and I was just like, oh, this is. Amazing, but uh, the first few years were um, were interesting. I, I actually auditioned for my first movie, and I ended up getting it. So that's like a very rare story. So then I went off and filmed um, in Virginia. All right, wait, but time out. So you moved to L.A. I moved to L.A. You auditioned for your first audition, and you yeah. get the part. Yeah. All right, can you take me to that first audition? What is your mindset like? What's your approach like? I remember sitting on the uh, 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 the carpet, reading the script like just so excited like i'm finally doing it it's finally here you know and um i went to the first audition and i've i don't know that i've ever been well i, I just knew i wasn't gonna get it it's my first audition but i'm just happy to be there so i go there and i i, I do it and i talk and i really connect with the casting people and they they bring me along and then i go to like the mix and match the final audition and uh, I think what really happened is the director just, he kind of wrote the part based on himself, was my character, and he couldn't find anyone he wanted to cast. And so he was just sort of like, ah, this guy's, give it to this guy. And so that's kind of how I got the role. But do you think your naivete or just going in there, yeah. that probably helped you as well? Absolutely. Because I just, I wasn't nervous because I just knew I wasn't going to get the role. Yeah. You know? So I, I just, I didn't put any pressure on me or I was just like fucking happy to live the dream. You know, there's something I always tell athletes this, like, go watch eight year olds play soccer, go watch them play MSI. For those that are listening that aren't from this area, MSI is like our recreational soccer league. Yeah, yeah. Great logo, though. Great, Great logo. If I get, if I get an MSI shirt right now, I'd yeah, rock it. We'll take MSI shirts, but go watch eight year olds. Just go play soccer and you'll see that they're pretty fearless. They're just doing the best they can. They're giving effort. They're just playing and they're playing soccer. The issue is that they're all in the same spot. They're not spacing out. They're not doing anything right. fundamentally helpful to their cause, but they're playing as hard as they can and with joy. And there's something to playing like a kid and thinking like a pro. And when I've talked to actors, it's kind of that similar approach, which is like you play. Like you're in a play. Right. Your job is to play. Yeah, it's funny. Um, my, my acting coach that I've been studying with, who, who I met on that movie, that first movie, so I've been working wow. with her for years, and she always talks about how she some athlete came in for an audition and just like owned the room because he had so much confidence because he was very successful and whatever. I think he was a football player. And a lot of actors will go in the room and they'll be like, do you mind if I sit? Do you mind if I stand? And he was like, I'm going to sit. 
like didn't even ask the question, you know, and the confidence that that came off of him. And then uh, the other thing about the playing is I was working on the show I'm working with now. And I remember talking to Jenna Dewan, who's a wonderful actress, dancer, about how I hate auditioning, how much I hate it because I don't enjoy it at all. And she was saying, her ex-husband Channing Tatum, she was like, Chan always says, she's like, this changed how I think of auditioning. He always just goes in there and just goes in there to play. Yeah. Like he doesn't worry about it. He just like goes in there to fuck around and play. Yeah. And that really is the best way. I think I've been thinking about that a lot in all the auditions I've had since of just like going around and play. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think we all and and I think for Sorry, I, for not pick, dropping all those names. No. <laughs> We can talk Channing Tatum if you want. <laughs> I've never met him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my friends. So after uh, after college, we had different experiences. I I moved to Arlington, Virginia, and I lived in a house with six other guys. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> but we watched a lot of Stop the Yard and a lot of Step Up. Right. Yeah. And yeah Step yeah, Up yeah. too. Step and up, yeah. uh, so Step Up was on repeat a lot. We also watched Greek, which we'll get into at some point. Nice. Um, but. Uh, so, so Channing Tatum has a place in my 23 year old heart, which sounds very strange to say, but it is true. Um, but, but back to that play idea and that play concept, once again, when I've talked to actors, they almost all say they hate auditions. I've never, are there any, it's very rare you meet actors that say that they love auditions. I know, I know. And it's funny. I really do believe though that I hate auditioning more than most actors. And I will say this only in that up until now, I... There's this whole thing about um, a mentality that maybe exists, maybe you you run into this a lot, and I think for acting it can happen. I'm not gonna try my hardest at something, so that way when I don't get it, I won't really be that disappointed, right? And I feel like, I don't remember when I heard that or if I did that or it seeped in, but I remember Post Creek. I was I was like I'm never going to lose an audition because I didn't prepare enough. Yeah. You know. So when I get an audition, I prepare a lot. I want to know it backwards and forwards. I want to come up with five different ways to say a line. You know, I want to I want to try I try to uh, truncate the rehearsal process of a play, which is 3 4 or 5 weeks. We used to be probably just 3 weeks now into a night or 2 days. So I've done all the exploration so that I can go there. So for me, when I get an audition, it really takes a lot out of me, you know? It, and some other actors are able to memorize the lines and then go in and be present and do great work. And I, that hasn't been me up until now, you know? And so I especially um, have, a, have a tough time with auditions because it, it's, they're also so random. You just never know when you're gonna get one. So it's like, they just pause your life. You know, if you want to, go to dinner or have a birthday or do this. As soon as you get the audition, you have to drop whatever you're doing and and do that. And after a while, that can just be, it can be a lot. Yeah. So that's the balance that me and my agents, we, we, we have, you know, where they try to keep some stuff off my desk because they know I'm invariably, even if I say I'm not, even if I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna, I'm I'll just whatever. Invariably, I'll go and I'll be up till 3 a.m. working on it. I don't know if this will help you, but uh, we were talking about writing books and writing earlier. So I'm going to tell you about my book yeah. that I'm writing. Um, so the idea is that your mindset for preparation is actually different than your mindset for performance. And what I've realized is that humility, great in preparation, but your point about that football player who walked into the audition with arrogance, it doesn't really help you when you're performing. Like when you're performing, you want to have a level of inner arrogance. Steph Curry, when he comes across half court, needs to have arrogance and 
he believes that he's special, that he's important, and that he's going to make that shot in part because he humbly prepared. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism. Let's go to that because it sounds like you have some perfectionism. I do. Yeah, I learned that this year. So perfectionism and preparation actually is really helpful, but when you're performing, you need adaptability. Absolutely. So there are these binaries that work. They're, they're different, and so the book is about shifting your mind. So when you're in preparation mode, go ahead, perfect. But as soon as you are in front of whoever you're in front of an audition or on stage or in front of a camera, that's where we need to be adaptable and adjustable because right. who knows what's going to happen. We call that, we call that like being in the moment. Present. Right? So yeah, being present. So if you are going to go and do all the work and then come in and try to do that work, you're, it's going to be, sta- it's going to be stale. My, um, there's an analogy like, you know, you want to bring freshly baked bread every time you go to an audition. You don't want to bring the bread that you baked last night, you know, because it won't come across. But for me, I know a lot of actors, especially in L.A., who didn't go to school and don't have some sort of basis and they're lazy. And so you can see that they haven't, especially like when we're on set and I mean, one of the things we're on set, like I know my lines, I'm ready to go. I, I, I don't have a lot of patience a lot of times for people that are finding their lines or who haven't prepared or who don't know because time is money, you know? And so also when you're, when you, when you get on there, you're going to get nervous around all these people. So if you've prepared, then if you get nervous, you won't shoot yourself in the foot by going down a spiral. Sure. You know, I love it. I'll use Beyonce. She's one of like, I study her. She's the best. Because if you study actually her mindset, it's like Beyonce and Kobe Bryant. Like when I, when I'm studying the mental side of performance, like they're two amazing examples. And Beyonce says, I'm nervous when I'm not nervous. If I'm nervous, it means I'm going to have a great show. Right. And if you study Beyonce, she's absolutely a perfectionist. Do you see, I remember when she was doing the Coachella thing. She was rehearsing like She's crazy. months before. Unbelievable. Like full day rehearsals. But in it, but then when you listen to her when she's on stage, she'll wink, she'll say something new, she'll adapt, she'll adjust because she's performing. So the ability to shift from the preparation mind to the performance mind, what I find is a lot of performers bring that preparation mind into their performance yeah. or vice versa, right? That, that football player who might have rocked that audition to your point might not be a pro when it comes to acting it may not know his lines and then when it's time to actually record right. it's frustrating the hell out of you they said are you are you a redskins fan i'm a redskins unfortunately fan. yeah um the washington team i'm still there like, boy gosh i'm, I'm I still there you do a whole podcast on that <laughs> but apparently like haskins that was the big thing that they were saying with haskins yeah. where you know he wasn't preparing yeah. because it had come so easily to him in at ohio state you won't find greatness, whether it's Chris Rock doing stand-up, like Chris Rock goes to New Jersey and does mm-hmm. tons of tons of stuff before he's on HBO. Uh, Seinfeld, like every day is creating. And so there's all these stories about shifting your mind from the preparation mind to the performance mind. And the thing that I think gets lost is like we say, oh, don't worry about, don't be a perfectionist. It's like, no, that's part of your DNA. That's part of what has gotten you to where you're at. We don't want to get rid of it. It's just not letting that come into the performance. Right, and as an actor, the worst, the worst thing, it's always going to happen, right? If you, when you, the cool thing about doing a play is that you have... Uh, there are some actors that will try to do the same performance every night and I'm sorry they're just bad actors like that's just trash and there's people that do that and that's bullshit but the worst thing when you're doing a TV show is that moment that you wake up the day after you shot something and you're like oh I have an idea but it's too late you know and and it's gonna happen because you just don't have enough time but if you can put yourself in a position 
where you are are at least able you're able to be free and play around and then those that feeling is lessened the next day you'll wake up and you're like look i tried five different things you know maybe i have a sixth one now but the worst thing is to not do that work and go in and realize up oh, i screwed it up yeah experiment and and the ability to experiment and the ability to try new things yeah is massive, um, and then you need to trust your process and trust that you've got what you got. Yeah. So it's cool to it's cool to riff on that. For you, acting on stage, uh, we've got movies, mm-hmm. we've got TV, mm-hmm. we've got writing. You talked about writing before we fired up the mics. Where do you feel most alive? You definitely talked about theater earlier and, and being on stage, but what, talk about how you feel most alive during, and maybe it's all of them. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, I find writing the hardest. You know, um, there are aspects of it earlier when I first started writing that was that was that I liked. I, I will actually say when I feel like I feel most alive in this moment in life is when I'm playing guitar. Really? Yeah, because it's not what I do for my life. So it's just literally playing hobby. You know, there's nothing attached to it except for what I'm attaching myself of like I want to, you know. But it's just I can get lost and play and I can create. As an actor, it's really hard to create. You know, uh, 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 you're usually other people are creating and you are creating a, a character, but it's other people's lines. So, um, you know, they say uh, theater is an actor's medium. You have the ultimate control. Uh, movies are a director's medium. They are the leader, the president of that country for for whatever it is. And then uh, a TV is a writer's medium. And... Um, the writer has more control, more than the directors, more than the actors. And uh, so for me, well, I like to have a bit of control. Uh, I, that's why I like doing plays. Um, and I also, I mean, I'm, I'm 38, so I think at this stage, I, you know, there are stories that I want to tell. And sometimes that matches up with the writer or the role you have and you're telling the same story. Sometimes you'll get on set and the, the writer wants to tell a different story than the story that you've worked out. And that kind of sucks. But as an actor, you just you have to do that. What do you feel like when you've got the guitar in your hand? And by the way, is it electric, acoustic? Paint the picture for uh, us. Both, but more, but I, I've been playing mostly uh, electric. I've been sort of falling in love with that. I just got started getting pedals this year. And I have five, four pedals already. And you self-taught, or did you take lessons? I, I, I took I take lessons. I took lessons in D.C. when I was doing that play a while ago. It was the first time I took lessons. I took like maybe six lessons in New, in L.A. And then I took maybe bass lessons for eight weeks because my dad has a lot of basses. And then in New York, I've been taking lessons. And then in Chicago, when I was shooting a soundtrack, I was taking lessons from a guy who was in Wilco. He's a really cool guy named Leroy Bach. Um, and that's, I like taking lessons because I like the exchange of information with another artist. Um, I like someone, I like being accountable to someone, you know, I like that energy. I'm a big person. I like to take lessons from, from things, but the, the, the freedom of what I, what I really enjoyed doing was all we, we would learn something in, in a guitar and a guitar lesson. And then I go home and I'm like, okay, um, uh, let's, uh, we're, what were we doing? We're doing uh, arpeggio. So then I'm going to play arpeggio and then I'm like, let me just write a song based off arpeggio so that I can you know remember it and then I'm like oh man this is great like now I'm writing a song now I'm doing this like the it's like building Legos when you're a kid you know you're like oh and I'm gonna build a car okay I'm gonna put that down and I'm gonna build a house I, that that it, that's so exciting to me and even and putting lyrics and uh it's a good way to express emotion which I found in the last couple years that I was really using it for that 
Um, especially because acting can be few and far between. Whereas like this last year, I've had uh, jobs back to back. I had two years where I wasn't working. So all my creativity was coming out in guitar for myself. But it sounds like you love to create. So what I'm yeah. hearing is like, I love writing so that I can create and control the narrative and really be intentional about what I'm putting out there. When I have the guitar in my hand, I get to create and innovate. Uh, and that's a piece to the puzzle. Yeah. Were mom or dad more of that as far as creating and innovating? I think they did it in different ways. You know, I think they did it in very different ways. I think my father, I think my mom is very artistic in her way. Um, uh, uh, but I think it comes more from my dad. Um, and I, I don't even know how to explain that more, but he would, he would just sit, he would sit there, you know, when I was in high school is when he started playing the bass again. And he would just sit there after work playing the bass all the time, taking lessons. Before that, it was all, like I said, it was always taking pictures. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't even really know where it comes from. It just comes from somewhere, and both me and my sister have it pretty strong. And you mentioned Dad passing away, and I'm sorry for that, by the way. What did that do, and how did that impact your life? Um, yeah, I, that, that was pretty crazy. Um, it happened right after college, and the, the sad part is my dad saw me leave when we shot the the movie that I that first movie I got, which was called Cry Wolf, the first edition, we shot it in Virginia, and I was able to drive home. And he saw me leave. And they gave us cars because it was sponsored by Chrysler. So he saw me leaving this like Chrysler convertible, you know, being like my son first edition. But he never got to see the movie, so he never got to see me professionally act. Um, that was really difficult, and it actually I thought it was going to, as an actor. You're always sort of aware of emotion because that's like sort of the the field you're playing in. I thought it was going to open me up and sort of make me this better actor, and it did not at all. I remember having an audition for something right after it where I had to get really emotional, and I was really blocked. I just wasn't able to connect to it. Um, so that that was pretty tough. And then I, I had my dog die very tragically in my arms, which was like the the second big death that happened. And, that was really hard too, but neither of them made me um, better as an actor. The thing that really did was like heartbreak, you know, relationship ending. That was sort of the thing that was like, oh, that's what makes you a better actor. That's the, that was the thing that unlocked another level in me. Why? I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure, but it was really, I think it's because that was... All three of those things were very difficult and sort of broke me in a way, you know, but the relationship thing is the one that was the harder, harder to put back together. And I don't know, it was just deeper. I, I don't, I don't know how to explain that either. I think the other two made me close up, you know, um, in a, in a way, whereas that one just sort of opened me up, but Maybe now it's helpful. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I, I was thinking about that with I uh, I play a father in this in, in soundtrack, and when I was dealing with my son, um, I was wondering like, oh, does my my relationship with my father have anything? You know, is that is that informing this at all? I'm sure it does, but I don't know. I had a really good relationship with my dad, and I was lucky, so I didn't really have too many regrets, except for obviously I I wish he lived longer. Um, 
But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I answered that super well. But I, yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how it works. I just, I just know that it. I just know when it really did shift for me. It's interesting. I would imagine vulnerability plays a big role in acting. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work on vulnerability. Um, no. She has a Netflix special. Uh, she's a psychologist, done a bunch of research, a book called Daring Greatly, a bunch of best-selling books. She's a rock star. Yeah. Brene has connected vulnerability to courage. Mm. Um, so for a lot of men, we don't think vulnerability is really good, mm. a lot of men. Mm-hmm. But courage, like... Yeah, sign me up. Let's be courageous. Yeah. And her whole point is you can't be courageous without being vulnerable. Okay. And as I'm hearing you talk, I'm wondering if the breakup opened up a vulnerability in you. Absolutely. And a courageousness. Absolutely. That came with that. And it made me understand people more. I guess that's what it is. I feel like the breakup made me understand people a lot more. More empathic? Absolutely. More empathic. Um but just like the the struggle, it, it it connected me so much more. Whereas you know, I, the breakup made me like literally open up, talk to friends about stuff. Whereas my father passing made me close up, and I didn't want to talk really to anyone about that. Mm. You know, and it's then more when, maybe personal and private to you and your relationship. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. It was like no one's gonna understand, and same thing with my dog too which was like such a kick in the balls um i was like no one's gonna understand because my dog was better than all the rest of your dogs you know whereas the breakup it's like oh we've all been through this universal this is something that we all need to go through also i mean if if you've never especially if it's not your choice right if you've never been broken up with then you're not i i that's i don't know that I'm going to say you can't be an, uh, you know, an empathetic person or a compassionate person, but you know, even every time when I hear stories of like, Oh, so-and-so treated her so bad, blah, blah. Then she broke up with him and he wants her back. I instantly feel for the person, you know, the guy that treated her bad and then wants her back. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I can connect to that. I can connect to, um, more kinds of things. I don't know. That's, not specific either. It's really interesting for me. I I have two kids. I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And I was just telling someone this recently. Like, I'll be watching a movie now, and I'll just start crying. Or, like, I, I can't. It's like, there's just, like, little things where emotionally I feel, like you're saying, more open now mm. than I definitely did before kids. Yeah. And I think that that's another moment that drastically impacted how I saw the world. Do you you feel, this is something I've always wondered, do you feel, is there a level of anger or rage that's slightly increased to when you have kids where, where the, the, the the father bear will take over and, and you'll surprise yourself with something that will come out? Oh yeah. I think there's a a defensiveness to it for sure. Um, and maybe when you're watching those movies, you feel helpless um, like I was just watching the movie is a, it was a play, a good plane movie. It was the movie about the dog uh, in the rain. Uh, what's it? Who's in it? The guy from this is us. And, oh uh, yeah. Milo Ventimiglia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's her name? Who's from here? Uh, I haven't blonde. seen Amanda Siegfried. She's from here. Oh, is she from here? Yeah. She went to Georgetown day school. Huh? Anyway, 
the two of them. But like I was done watching that movie. Right, right. And I'm not going to ruin it for everybody, but I was just done watching it. Um, and yeah, I think it's like now I'm watching these movies and there's nothing I can do. And I'm also imagining like what would it be like if I wasn't able to be there for my kids or if something happened to my kids. I mean, like movies that have kids that are sick, I can't, I can't. I can't watch. Right. Like it's like, but going back to the vulnerability piece, it's important to feel that it's like, that wakes me up to be the type of dad that I want to be like those story, that storytelling I think is so valuable because it's human and everybody's a son or a daughter of somebody and everybody, you know, has parents. Um, And I think the more that we have that humanity, the, the better version of ourselves come out. And it also reminds me that like, this is an important job. Like this is no joke. Like, you have a huge obligation and responsibility to be in service. And so I think for me, when I had kids, there was this massive shift away from myself right? and more towards like them. Like I'm living to try to help them. Right. That's funny. That's really, I mean, not to plug, not to plug my show soundtrack, but that's really what the show is about. My story in the show is I've got a son and um, my wife's passed away and I'm, you know, sort of struggling and I lose my house and my son might be taken away. And I'm, I'm, you know, I was a, an artist, a musician is what I play in the show. And, you know, I'm like, I can't do that anymore. I can't focus on that. I got to provide for my son. Everything is about my kid, you know? And I think, uh, that's a strength of our shows that we're showing these real, it's a real emotional tear jerking show, but we're, 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 we're showing real emotions and things that happen to people and people can connect to. And I will watch it and I will uh, make it through it all, but I can't imagine my life without my wife. Like I like being able to do that. It does. It crosses your mind. Sometimes you're like, well, man, what would happen? And I, I can't actually imagine it. It's, um, yeah, I've had, I had a friend from college the past, uh, she had two, uh, children and, uh, it's, uh, that's gotta be one of the hardest things. Even when my dad passed, just my mom seeing her and how she had this plan for life, you know, and I, we had just got, I'd just gotten out of college and now her and my dad were going to be able to live their life. And the plan was just shattered, you know? Um, and I did a little bit of research in that for the role and it's just, uh, our, our show is about. I think one of the stories is about when you get stuck in life, right, wherever it is, and how to get out of the hole that you find yourself in, which is a universal sort of concept. Because I think you see a lot of times when people get stuck and they can't get out of it, develop a drinking problem, a drug habit, you know what I mean? Or um, in sports too, like, you know, a pitcher gets the yips and can't throw to first base or can't get out of the funk, you know? I mean, that's probably what you deal with. How do you get out of it and keep moving? Yeah, we often talk about the inner game running the outer game. So I say all that about my family, but what I would hope is that I can develop the resilience to say, all right, what do I need to do regardless of the external circumstances? Because mm. if we all live long enough, we're going to have some pretty crappy external circumstances happen to us. You've already yeah. mentioned three. You know, we all go through adversity as part of life. And how we respond to that adversity can often impact how we perform and how we show up. But it's also clear that you are somebody who prepares, and preparation can often help us deal with that adversity. So it's clear that you do a lot of research. You you, you value researching before you go in um, to audition for something. What else do you do before you step into the room? Is there anything you do to mentally prepare yourself 
um, so that when you're in the room, you said earlier, being in the moment, being in the present, that gets you into that space? Uh, the answer is no. I don't generally get very nervous during auditions. I'm very lucky that way. Um, as the audition goes on further and further, it's impossible. You're just going, you know, as you get closer to the carrot, you're just going to get more nervous. But that's not, I don't know why. I have I have a really good friend of mine who's been in a lot of great things who gets, gets terribly nervous. I don't know why I'm lucky that I don't. I think for me, it is in the preparation, you know. Uh, I feel like when I'm prepared, I'm better able to play. And so... When I'm not prepared, I probably get a little bit more nervous. That's probably why I do more preparation. So, so you really do put the work in, put the work in, put the work in, and then that frees you up to yeah. you know, trust yourself. I mean, where I am now, I, yeah, where I am now, yeah. Um, one of the scariest things I ever did was I, I took a, did this the improv program at the UCB, and uh, you know that was just. Awful. I mean, it was awesome, and I became a better actor, but it was just awful, you know, because one of the things that I personally hate is just being bad, right? That's why I don't ever play. I've played basketball twice in my life. I've always been bad. I was short. I was like, I don't mind going to fucking do this. I'm bad, you know? I'll, I'll wrestle. I'm closer to the ground. I'll be good at that. So I hate being bad, but that's my one of my new mantras is as an actor, you're just always going to be bad, you know? You just always will, so just move past it. Like, you're going to bomb. You're going to fail. Uh... Just move past it. Yeah, but there's something cool about you, which is you said you have the same acting coach since that first movie. You went and got guitar lessons and continue. You're like, I love getting lessons and learning. So I that love, yeah. drive to not get to not be bad helps you in so many ways. It helps you learn and grow, right? Because if you if you didn't have any fear of failure, then you wouldn't put the effort in. And, and do all that work. Yes and no. Yes and no. I, 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 I follow you where you're on that. The, the new thing that I'm, that I'm doing now is I feel like where I was, all the preparations got me to a certain point right now. And then like I still take acting class when I'm in town. So I'll go to my class. And the last time I took it was after um, the sh I had shot the show. And so I literally went in there. And for the first time, I didn't plan. I memorized the shit out of my lines. We would rehearse. We would play. I would go into the acting class, and I have no idea what we're going to do. And every week, it we killed because we were just with, there with each other. Now, it took a lot of preparation to get there. You know what I mean? We had to find beats. We had to find moments. But something that I would have never done before, I finally went in there. And probably because I'm the lead of the show and I finally got to be the lead of the show. And now I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. I don't care anymore. So I can go in there and if I fail, right, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person or a bad actor because I, they've, I, I got the lead of this. So, you know, I know I'm not bad. So now I can go in there with the possibility of failing and I can be okay with it. And that as actually... I think that will make me a better actor. I feel like that strength sure. makes you better. Well, you earn it. You earn the right to be fearless. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not reckless. Not reckless. Fearless. You, yeah. And it's a lot of preparation and a lot of work to get there. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's spot on. I think it's really cool to hear that and to also hear your honesty about it. It's like, hey, this is still something that is a challenge. But when I go in there having fun, playing, you know, if I go into it with that approach and I've got the preparation, mm -hmm. I'm going to be in good shape. And you've also now got the reps, right? Like yeah. you've done this a lot. To your point, you went to college, you've been doing this for the last 
15, 20 years, whatever it is. And you know what to, you know what you're doing. The other thing I'm hearing from you is even though your identity has been locked in with acting for a long time, you're still saying, hey, I might fail, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a failure. Like, right. The, the idea that it is what you do, it's not who you are. And I even hear that in your desires to continue to create and to innovate or to play guitar in that you've got other identities. And, you know, as I'm, as I'm saying that out loud, I'm even thinking about your story and your desire to not have your identity ever be one thing. Yeah. I think that came out of the fact that it was probably too linked to one. You know, I think when I was in, um, when I was in college or even the early years of acting class, if I had a bad scene, the whole day was ruined. If I had a bad audition, if I had a bad audition on a Friday, it's the worst thing because you don't have another audition on Monday, uh, Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. So you just have to sit with that audition until you get the next one. And that, you know, and that was, it was too linked to, if you do bad in class, you are bad. And so because of that, I tried to control everything. I tried to control my auditions. You know what I mean? I wanted it to be exactly this way. And I think a couple years of not working uh, helped me get out of that by necessity. And then I think also the success I have has, has enabled me to let it go a little bit. Also, I just... Um, I love acting. I think it's great, but I also realize how ridiculous and silly it is, and I see the trappings of it, and Hollywood can be a really silly, stupid place, and I just, like, I don't want to become uh, that, so it's important for me to, to diversify so that I'm not always, um, you know, as long, as long as I'm only an actor, I will always have to be beholden to other people. You know, if I diversify that, I can, can take a little bit of and the word control comes back, but I can take a little bit of control and I don't have to um, be anything. What other things do you do? And I'm curious, even if you go to those two years where you weren't working, what sort of things were you doing to, to fill your time? I, I took a different acting class in New York, which was uh, 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 fun, but also awful, you know, and I remember <laughs> it. I love taking ads in class. I just love learning new things. But I remember doing this class and um, doing this scene, and I had worked on all the work that I've been doing, the moment to moment. You know, every you know every line, I've got a different thought or whatever. And we finished the scene, and you know the, the people were like, "Yeah, that was good." But what what? Uh, where's the window in the room? I was like, "What?" I was like, yeah, wh "Where's the window in the room?" I was like, "I don't fucking know where the window is." Like, what season is it? Is it is it fall? Is it summer? I'm like, what the, who cares? Did you see, like, all this stuff that I've been, and then it's like, all right, take a breath. All that stuff's important, too. You are you can always add new tools to the toolbox, and it's also humbling, you know, uh, being around people that you don't know and having them look at your work. Like, it's actually kind of easy for me to go to that old acting class, even though it's all new people, because I know the teacher and I can just fuck around, but, like, exposing yourself to new stuff, that was really important to me. I was like, I got to get better. One of the things that I want to do in the future is I really want to work on accent work and stuff like that. I feel like that would open up the world to me a lot. You know, I was working on the craft. I started playing a lot of guitar. I snowboard a lot, and I love to do that to get my mind off it. Um, I was writing for a while. I think, you know, all those things were taking my mind uh, off it. I was just I was auditioning a lot, you know, trying to go back. 
I want to go back to Greek. So I mentioned yeah. earlier, I I watched it. I think, I mean, look, I, I don't know if I watched it because you were in it, but I'll tell you, I lived in this house with six other guys. We were all watching it. Yeah. So if it sucked, we weren't going to keep watching it. We loved it. It's great. We, we loved it. And uh, it was fun. And speaking of identity, like you played a gay character in in Greek. I'm curious for you, not what that was like while you're in it, but I'm curious outside of uh, the show, what that's like for you. Did, did people like come to you, stereotype you? Was there any backlash or is it just an accepted thing? Um, this was what, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, this was 2006, 2010 when we, when we were doing it. Um, it's interesting, you know, one of the, I remember while we were doing it, it was definitely a little bit difficult. Um, and I don't think I appreciated it as much as I do now because I think that role was very meaningful to a lot of people. I got to present at the GLAAD Awards, uh, I think three times, which is cool. And I got to meet all kinds of cool, way famous people. And uh, and then afterwards, they would have this party where it was like all the people that came would like buy you drinks. You know what I mean? And uh, a lot of people came up to me and were told me how much that role meant to them of seeing a, a, a gay character who at the time, I think it's actually kind of more common now, but at the time, especially a black gay character who wasn't stereotypical, you know, who being gay was just a part of who he was. And I credit uh, Sean Smith, the creator of Greek for that, because he really wanted to make it so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but as a black actor, it was a little difficult afterwards. You know, it was, um, I think there are, I will say there are definitely a lot of black actors who will not play gay. You know, and if you look at the African American community, um, being gay is it's it's different than I think it is in the white community, you know, um, and so I think we're still sort of as as African Americans uh, struggling with it, but we're we're at a different place, you know. I don't know that you'll. I don't know that you'll ever see Michael B. Jordan playing a gay character. I love Michael B. Jordan. He's a wonderful person. But there's a lot of actors that just won't do it. And if you do do it, then I get all the time, I'm always getting the auditions for the, you know, for the gay characters, you know, which I'm sure other actors don't get. So, and it's, and it, and it shouldn't matter, but it, it, it does. It has an impact um, that for a while in my career, I felt whether it was not right or wrong that I was sort of pigeonholed and I was, ha I, ha I was having a hard time getting out of that you know but um i'm proud of that show i you know i i i'm very close with most of the people most of the with a lot of people from that show behind the scenes and in front of the scenes still to this day some of my best friends one of the guys just got married last year we were all back there there was like 20 of us from the show back at the wedding um it was how i learned how to act uh, if you watch the first season and the fourth season, there's a big difference in performance. It was like um, it was acting training and for film, um, and it was great. And I, you know, I'd love to play that character again sometime in some form if it ever happened. Um, and I'm very grateful for all the people that gave me an opportunity to do that. It's really interesting because I spent a lot of time on college campuses, and yeah, I mean, I think 
it would be interesting what the response would be today compared to 2006. Because I just graduated from college in 2006. And I can tell you, like, I don't think, I think we've come a long way when it comes to how we look at gays. Most gays couldn't get married in 2006. Uh, right. Exactly. I mean, like, this thing happened. It was a long, there was a long movement to make it happen. But all of the sudden, it was like, okay, you could go get married. Like, right. It, and that didn't exist when we were kids watching television. You didn't see the kind of gay characters that you see now. I mean, you remember how big of a deal it was when Ellen came out? And then after she came out, the ratings for her show tanked and it got canceled not too long after that. I mean, it's insane. But now, if you're a kid growing up, you watch two moms, two dads next door everywhere. Maybe. So yeah. it's, it doesn't even like the kids who are younger now, like they don't, they don't even see gender. It's so different. So I, you know, I think I'm really thankful that I, that whatever part I was able to play to normalize, you know, being gay, um, that is more meaningful than it would have been if I had played a character that was hooking up with all these girls, like some of the other characters on the show, you know what I mean? Like what I got to do was, was more meaningful and more important. I think it's memorable. Yeah. Um, so I, I just I was curious to get your thoughts on that. And then back to your mindset and how you think about things and how you make sure that your mind is sharp. Like you said, your job is very reactive. So they call you, hey, I got this audition, and now you got to go here. Yeah. And then you're on set, or you're doing something for a certain amount of time, and life takes a pause. How do you still? stay disciplined or functional with the sort of reactiveness that is acting? How do you make sure that you're still? Yeah, it's hard. It's a hard question because I think what people don't realize about being an actor is that you get, I think the, I mean, it's probably like baseball, right? When like a good hitter is, you're hitting three a good hitters like well now a good hitters probably like 275 right we don't even hit for average as much anymore but you're you're striking out so many times you know i mean i get rejected so many times if you i mean i remember if you so the, the things the last things i've done the hot zone and um uh, uh, uh soundtrack before that was the show called the path I started the path in 2015. Those are the only three auditions that I've booked since 2015. That's like four years. And I go on lots of auditions. I have very good agents. So you're always getting rejected. Always to keep a mind. I mean, that's why actors are crazy. You know, that's why that's why actors are crazy. No one else, they get rejected that much. And it's like, you know, and it. It is you. It's you're, it, They are looking at you. They are saying, no, I don't want this person for the role. It could be that you're a bad actor. It could be you look like someone, else, someone else's ex-boyfriend and they don't want to cast you. So it's a complete mind fuck. And, you know, for, for an actor, you have to have a hobby, right? So you have to pour yourself into something so that you're not, you have to have a full life so that you're not just hanging out waiting for the phone to ring, you know? And then when you're on set, it's also really hard because every actor that I know always thinks they're terrible, right? Um, and you just have to have a strong mind and just trust. Why do they think they're terrible? I've I don't, never heard that before. Uh, I don't know. We just do. Um, Critical? Yeah. Perfectionist? It, it's, um, we just do. I don't, 
know the answer. I think it's because we always want another shot to try to do it better. Like watching it is a, a miserable experience. Watching your own stuff. Watching your own stuff. Watching your own stuff with people. Like when they have the premieres, like there's nothing more torturous than like being in. Like when I had to watch the, the soundtrack premiere in, in this room of agents and managers, I've never felt worse. You know, you just want to hide. And so when the the lights go up, you, you're acting then. You smile, you stand up straight like you're confident, even though you're not, even though you want to hide. You say, thank you, oh, thank you. you know. And for me, it's really important because I don't want to spend time on set having to have someone take care of me. I don't want to be an ED actor. Even though inside, after every take, yes, I want you to come up to me and tell me how good I'm doing. But I, what I do is I go to the extreme where after the take is I will walk away I don't even look at the director. I'll walk away, pick my book up, pretend, show outward confidence that I know that I'm good, even though I think I'm terrible, so that the director, who has 10,000 other things to worry about, can do that, and they don't have to take care of me. And it's taken, and it's a long journey to get there, and it's uncomfortable a lot of the time. So you just are used to being uncomfortable. You're, all these people are sitting around, and you look at them, and you finish a scene, and you, you look at them, and you're like, oh, I know they think I'm terrible. I know they think I suck. Um, oh, they didn't say anything to me after that take, so they don't think I'm good. Or in this for this show, for Soundtrack, I was replacing another guy that they had uh, let go of. So the whole time I'm like, oh, they like the other guy better. You know, everyone likes him. They're all good friends with him. Um, uh, oh, there's all these kind of crazy thoughts, and it's it's hard. But, you know, I had a teacher in, in college, Marie Kemp, a wonderful teacher, who told me, don't ever be an ED actor. And I've never been able to get that out of my head. So I do as much as I can, probably to the point where people think I'm cocky on set and people think these other things, but I don't ever want to show that I am, I don't want to say weak. That's probably not the word, but I just, I want to show that I am confident so that we can all move on and we can make our day. I once was in a room, small room with Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. There was maybe five of us, 10 of us in a room. And we were there for like 20, 30 minutes. And Vince Vaughn was Vince Vaughn. I mean, it it could have been swingers. And like, I was ready to go to Las Vegas with him. Right. All he had to say was, you want to go? And right. I'm in. Like, whatever you want. And Ben Stiller was sort of in the corner. Ben's and, dark. I've never he, met him, but. He he was like, he didn't really want to chat. He was He wasn't rude. He was just awkward and anxious. And you could feel it. And it's made me wonder how much of people when we see them either on film or on TV or on stage is acting versus how much is that also who they are authentically. And so I'm wondering for you when you're off camera, do you ever find yourself acting and have to reel yourself back to like the authentic yeah, self all the time yeah and, and how do you how do you do that it's for for me it always feels like a runaway train you know there'll be certain situations that i'll get into or like before i walk in i'm like all right just like relax don't have to be the performer and then the train goes away you have a couple drinks and then you end up being the performer because that's um, a role that you've played and it's how you've gotten through the world you know but that's not necessarily your authentic self. Um, and that can be tough, and there's a lot of judgment that comes along with that, too. Um, even I don't particularly enjoy uh, doing lots of press or, or interviews because I don't um, want to ever like that side too much, you know, uh, because I, I 
want to focus only on the acting and that other side is it can be taken away in two seconds you know and and i don't want to believe the own hype too much and that's been a, a difficult thing because it's part of the game and you have to do that but that's when i'm acting the most you know as if i have to do an interview or something like that it's like my real personality comes through well i'm a bit of a curmudgeon generally you know a, a funny curmudgeon but uh you know, so I can't ever really show that because that you know, if you don't know me, you're not getting my humor. Right. So I have to become a whole other person. Um, it can be tough. Some people are really good at it. Some people are born for it. I've got friends who are actors that love the spotlight, that love to do the interviews, that love to do all that stuff. And, you know, that's not necessarily who I am. Um, so that can be difficult. Also, it's more to your point, like when you're acting, is it really you or is it, I don't know. I mean, I think we're always trying to get it to be as close to ourselves as possible. Um, it's always kind of an approximation. You have to know yourself as an actor, but sometimes it's hard to really know how you would behave in a situation because when you're in the situation, you're in the moment. Mm. Some, so sometimes when I'm like doing something in my life, I'm like, ooh, I have to remember how I reacted to that. That would be a really good, you know what I mean? Use that, use so when I try in soundtrack, sometimes you'll see these moments where I, where I throw in a little bit of me that my friends will text like, oh, that's the way you would do this. Like that's the way you, you know. There's some things I know how to replicate based on feedback. I remember having a makeup artist tell me, you always make this dismissive face. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, let me let me figure out what that's about. Let me try to use that in there. You know, um, but it's a it's a it's a tough. It's a tough thing, you know. Um, you're always trying to be authentic in every situation, but no one really is. No one can afford to be. Can you be authentic to your kid when they're irritating the crap out of you, but you have to be very gentle because you don't want to crush their spirit? You know. I wish I was gentle all the time. It's not the case. No. Two thoughts. One, I have two friends from high school that you know I grew up with who are both actors. Um, and who? Uh, Danny Benstock, who we oh, right, right. talked about, and Kellen Coleman, who's out and oh, that. Kellen, I know. Yeah. Kellen, we met. I met Kellen. We had followed each other on Instagram through mutual friends, and then we ended up sitting next to each other on a plane. And I was like, she's like, I follow you, like me too. And then we became homies. Kellen's a riot. Kellen's great. But uh, so I grew up with both of them, and they ben both Feldman too. But he's older than you. But Ben, ben is one of my best friends, and so I watched Ben because our Churchill had this great theater department. Great program. So a lot of those people. Uh, came from there. Um, and so I remember watching Ben and these shows when I was a kid. But um, but I had Danny and Kellen on, and it's interesting when I watch them in shows and acting, my friends and I are like, oh, they're just acting. like Because we see them as them. And so right. it's hard for us to see them act and like really just get lost in the acting. It's, I think it's probably similar to watching yourself in a way. It's kind like, of, but like there are some actors, I think Kellen is wonderful. Kellen is so great at being able to be herself on camera. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's why she's so successful because you get all like the nuances and you get all that, you know what I mean? I feel like I historically have not always played myself. You. Interesting. Huh. You know, um, yeah, some actors are really good at it, and then some actors, like Gary Oldman, just 
is always playing different people. Yeah. You know? That's cool. That's so so that's something you're you're probably seeking and searching for is like to really just show up and be you. Like Larry David, right? Like right. just I'm gonna be Larry David. Be Larry David. Yeah, I think you're I think you're trying to get a mix. I think you're trying to get uh, enough of you that that connects to the part. You know, when you get a part, you try to find the part the things that are like you. And the other thing I was gonna say is then we have so many different parts of who we are. So anger is a part of me, sadness is a part of me. Joy is a part of me. Jealousy is a part of me. Frustration is a part of me. No one's bigger than any emotion. And so I, I think what I'm hearing from you, though, is the ability to be aware of when those emotions come out because you're going to need them because acting requires emotion. Emotion is where we draw feeling from. And right. like we were talking about earlier with me tearing up watching a movie with a dog in it, it, it it's it's creating an emotion in me that's going to stay with me. Parasite, like... Parasites, I saw it last, I just saw it again last night. It's just emotion. One it's of my just favorite like, movies. It just elicits emotion. I, I walked down and I'm like, I don't even know what the hell just happened to me, but I I just got happened to. Right? I get I got I showed it to my sister and my mom last night and I got I was getting teary eyed at it. It just moves me in these ways that it did not move them. Um but it, I just I just love it. So anyway, I, I think that's the piece also that I would just come back to. And I think athletes and performers are no different. Like we all have this inner world and we just need to be intentional about how we're going to bring that inner world to whatever environment an environment requires and yeah. some environments will require x and others will require y and it doesn't mean that we should ever get rid of anger or sadness or frustration you talk about breaking up with somebody like those emotions if you didn't feel those emotions you would have been a sociopath it wouldn't right. have been a good thing to not feel that the relationship wouldn't have meant anything to you so i love that idea that we're also more than just one thing and we're, we're complex uh creatures all right, we've been riffing for a while now. It's dark outside. All right. I'm hungry. I'm sure you're hungry. Yeah, yeah. Um, tell us where people can find you on social media, Instagram, Twitter, wherever. Um, and also anything that you want to promote. Uh, just use this as a megaphone to get it out to as many people as possible. Yeah, I'm at uh, Paul James underscore six on Instagram. That's all I have. And uh, soundtracks on Netflix right now. Uh, watch it. Hopefully when this comes out, it will have not been canceled and... <laughs> I don't know. I hope I don't know if enough people are watching it, but I'm super proud of it. I think it's a beautiful piece of art. Well, we'll share it with as many people as we can. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson, Instagram intentional underscore performers, and you can listen to all these conversations at intentionalperformers.com. PJ, great to catch up with you. Brian Levinson, uh, good great to, see to you, chat bro. with you. We'll talk soon. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I like taking lessons because I like the exchange of information with another artist. Um, I like someone, I like being accountable to someone. You know, I like that energy. I'm a big person. I like to take lessons from things. But the, the, the freedom of, what I, what I really enjoyed doing was all, we would learn something in, in a guitar, in a guitar lesson. And then I'd go home and I'd be like, okay, um, uh, let's, uh, what, what were we doing? We're doing uh, arpeggios. So then I'm going to play arpeggio and then I'm like, let me just write a song based off arpeggio so that I can, you know, remember it. And then I'm like, oh man, this is great. Like now I'm writing a song. Now I'm doing this. Like the, it's like building Legos when you're a kid. 